It is Society's Superheroes one-year anniversary. We launched on the 5th of September 2021 on International Day of Charity. And we chose International Day of Charity as the purpose of the day and of Society's Superheroes is to raise awareness and provide a common platform for charity-related activities. We also wanted to celebrate the men and women who've dedicated their lives to empowering communities and who work tirelessly to improve the lives of others. Can you believe it's been a year, Luke? Oh, it's super exciting, Karen. <laughs> I cannot believe it's our 30th published episode. 30? It's almost like a whole month's worth of Exactly, uh, podcasts. Yeah. And apparently we've had 100 people listen to each of those, so that's a total of 3,000 downloads, which is, which is incredible. And for me, you know, it, it was interesting to look at what people chose to listen to and download. And I think we have to give some credit to our guests because Absolutely. I think the downloads are probably… They are superheroes. Correct. And I think the amount of downloads are probably related to mm. them and their profiles rather than ours specifically. I, I think so, Luke. I think so. <laughs> we'll park our egos in the corner. Exactly. So… What, our most listened to podcast was a special edition mm-hmm. we did with Women and Men Against Child Abuse where we had Olivia Jezreel and Debbie Wade from Athletes Against Child Abuse. And I think what was interesting about that for me was, you know, coming up to the Olympics. Olympics. It mm. was massive. And following the Bob Hewitt uh, parole. Mm. So very topical. And what was nice is it raised the issues around the potential dangers of sport in the abuse of children. Then obviously we had your, what you call... Um, I'm, I'm sure she she really enjoys it, but every time we come here to the the studio, you talk about Ma Tammy. So <laughs> Ma we, Tammy, your Tammy. <laughs> so we have your we had your Tammy with the with the dogs who were all playing nicely here together, and Joel. And interestingly, it's something we want to follow up on going forward, and looking at the role of the the dogs in autism mm. and uh, as support dogs for autism. Then our launch episode was uh, really exciting because that's a topic that is really, um, you know, you and I both feel very strongly about it. And that's about the, the idea that we, 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 we re, almost like rework what charity means mm. to people, that it is a viable career, it's something people dedicate their lives to. It's not something you do by the bar where you take photos and you put them up because now you're doing something, you're doing something nice. In fact, you may do harm by doing mm. things like that. So I think that was a great one. And then picking up on something that has become massive, we really enjoyed the conversation with the head of Tara and child and adolescent psychiatry, Dr. Ronell Price Hughes, and it just appears that that has become that world mental health has become more and more and more topical and something we're going to need to revisit mm-hmm. when we go into October again because that m- mental health is just hectic. Fragile. And it's fragile, and I think also what has happened interestingly with the Olympics, as we have uh, as we've alluded to, is the fact that even with Wimbledon and Naomi Osaka, is that people are taking care of their mental health, mm-hmm. but they've been judged for it. Mm. Very, very judged. And judged Mm. for it. So it's almost like, you know, they split the world as to Mm. whether this focus on mental health has become like a girly thing now because it's, interestingly, it's only the female athletes coming forward. 
who've, who've spoken out? Well, post post um, Olympics, people like Michael Phelps have spoken mm. out. But also in that weight of gold uh, documentary, what you will see is that one of the one of the men was an Olympian from America. He never told anybody he got golds. He just went home quietly and loved the sport. And he eventually killed himself quietly because there was no language for him to mm. talk about it. And then finally, we had the indomitable Ellie Scott from Bella Vista mm. School on with An Bella Vista woman. Amazing, and something that is that has become, I think, even even more relevant as we have gone into COVID and we've become socially isolated is we appear to become less kind and mm. we be- become judgy. We become judgy of people who vaccinate. We become judgy of people mm. who don't vaccinate. You know, we become judgy of people who are wanting to protect their mental health we become judgy of people who don't want to protect their mental health so we've created this world where we've become very split and one of the recent talks i did you know at a school they said oh maybe we just need to remind people to be kind to be kind i think something for me that was so significant about the conversation we had with ellie and it's something that stuck with me for nearly a year later is she said how the children at bella vista had taken it on board and the impact that the children had then had on the parents and then the community of Bella Vista. And for me, that was really, really significant is that we are able to empower our youth and children with incredible tools to take forward and have influence. So now something quite controversial. We both on the same page about this, but I suppose a lot aren't. Just recently, um, vaccinations opened for ages under 35. So the 18s to 35. And we've seen a massive uptake. Thank goodness from my perspective, that these young people are going and and are being vaccinated. What do you think the impact is going to be with these young people being vaccinated on their parents and grandparents? Look, I I was actually incredibly impressed as you were with the, the uptake of the 18 to 25s. It appears that, you know, we, we, we've often been quite almost dismissive mm. of the millennials saying, you know, they're selfish and they don't get the right information, they're online too much, etc. But it appears that we, we've been quite wrong about that mm. when it comes to the vaccination. So there, there, there's this fervor to come forward and to be vaccinated. And I think maybe some of it had to do with the original messaging around the fact that please don't get sick and kill your your aged mm. family members, you know. So I think there was a little bit of that happening in the background. But secondly, that they recognizing, okay, well, you know, we have this information, we have the vaccination, we can discriminate fake news from not fake news mm. because we have the generation that's learnt to have to discriminate between those because that's where we find our news. And what we hope that they will do is that they will bring with them the older generations mm. who appear, and particularly the males, who appear to be quite resistant to it. Mm. And uh, the, the resistance is based on this, th- this whole idea of we can't trust anyone. So, I mean, and I say this, you know, not to be political, but to be a little bit sarcastic. You know, the idea that, you know, we could potentially organize this massive campaign to chip all of our, um, you know, chip all of our population and track them so that we can find out, I don't know what, by running a chip in their, in their body when we can't fix a pothole is a little <laughs> bit of a, a leap in logic. You know, it's a huge leap in logic. Yeah. And the other divine meme at the moment is, so, okay, you've been vaccinated and chipped. Don't worry, the system will go down and they won't be able to find you anyway. Exactly. So, so I think we, 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 need to, we need to also be kind to, you know, the, the, the older generations mm. who find this, 
very difficult to to manage because of um, ideas of you know the fact that the world is not meant for us and the people are trying to control us and we come from that cold war russian spy mm. kind of world where there's conspiracy all this, theory yeah, this kind of we come from that world and i think what the young people can do is that they can draw the older people out because I think that if anyone was going to be a conspiracy theorist, it would be a millennial. If anyone was going to be judged as following fake news by our generation, it would be the millennials. And they haven't. And that's been an amazing mm. thing to see. One of the interviews um, that's also stood out for me was International Day of Friendship. Mm. And we interviewed Joel. And the one thing that he said is, show me your friends and I'll show you the future. So do you also think in terms of positive peer pressure that peers will uh, influence others to be vaccinated? Or do you think it's going to be very polarizing like Trump? I, I think they are they're going to positively influence each other. So the few that I've spoken to that have been vaccinated have said that it was when it opened up, say, for example, a group working in the restaurant industry, and it was important for them to be vaccinated, they all decided that they're going to go as a group. This is mm. something like voting. Mm. It's mm. something that I'm participating in as a young person, and I'm making my mark on the world. And they created groups, and they mm. went in groups and en masse, mm. where the whole group went together and said, we're all doing this, we're in, with the same kind of zeal as voting. Mm. And it's actually coming up for World Democracy Day, which is quite interesting. And we don't quite know when our elections are going to be, our municipal mm. elections. But you're quite right in terms of groups getting together. You know, one of my favorite Facebook groups is The Village. And the reason I think I love it so much is Vanessa Raffaele is just probably the best curator you could get. So she takes absolutely no nonsense. And Getting back to kindness, she she simply does not allow people to be unkind. Anti-vaxxers are really angry people. <laughs> They're not kind. What mm. is that that you can't accept somebody else's opinion? So the fact that you're an anti-vaxxer, for me, that's cool. If you don't mm. want to be vaccinated, you go with that. But the fact that I choose to be vaccinated, why does it elicit this tirade of, of anger and and? Oh, it's, it's, you just need to look on social media, any posts around vaccines. Look, I think it's very interesting because I think us who have been vaccinated may have created part of that problem. Because I think what we did was we made people who are not vaccinated out to be lesser than. So it's almost mm, like if, if, if you're not vaccinated, there's something wrong with you. So, for example, you would see memes with, uh, the, the, you know, vaccine people who, who are going for the vaccine putting up good science and big science and then pictures of um, anti-vaxxers uh, sitting on the toilet with their phones as the scientists. Now, that's not a helpful debate. So I think the, the anger is at the fact that they have some real issues mm -hmm. and a, a very interesting, with someone very close to me, very uh, a millennial, a conversation I had that was very interesting is it wasn't about the vaccine. So how this conversation went was something to the effect of, ah, when this vaccine comes, I'm not getting this. I'm a bit of an anti-vaxxer. It's a person in their 20s. And 
I said, but I, I'm very curious. And I started with that whole debate with like, okay, why? You know, what's, what's the issue? No, well, you know, do you know what's in the vaccine? I said, I have absolutely no idea what's in the vaccine. Okay. Do you know what's in the vaccine? Yes, I do. I said, well, tell me what I'm missing. And I was actually being, mm. I wasn't being sarcastic. So what am I missing? Mm. Okay. No, things with long names. So I said, yeah, so how does that make any difference to the debate? Because you know what's in it, but mm. you don't know what those ingredients are. I don't know what's in it. You know, I'm working on trust. Another example that was used is if you take your car to be serviced, they say replace that, that, and that. You say, okay, cool, and you give your car to the mechanic and they fix it and you take it back and you pay them the money. Mm. So there's a level of, of trust that we have placed in the medical fraternity and there's all stories about big pharma and all conspiracies, etc. But what it boiled down to, interestingly, was the – and I've heard it in the news a lot recently – the meaning for this millennial is you're going to limit my freedom. And the one thing you're going to do is you're going to limit my freedom of movement based on something you're imposing on me. Mm. So what they had picked up on in the anger was, why do I have to have this? If I want to go and travel to whatever Europe, why do I have to have this vaccination done? And if I don't have this vaccination done, essentially it's like another passbook, like in the old days where we need to have a pass to move between places and you restricting my, my level of movement by removing my choice. So it was a different conversation. It wasn't a conversation about the contents of the vaccine, interestingly, and the problems with that, because they said eventually, oh, I'm going to have the vaccine, but this is wrong. <laughs> the sacrifices we make. 100%. And look, other conversations that we've had over the last year that have really, really stood out for you and that you think have in, sort of encouraged you to think differently about things? Well, I think the most recent one that we had was, was really, and interestingly, a lot of the, the interesting conversation that happened in this around Equal Pay Day is that a lot of the interesting conversation happened after the mm, um, the actual on air thing. We only have twenty minutes. <laughs> Correct. Happened on the uh, you know after the mm. on air thing, and I think the metaphor for it, much like the vaccine metaphor, the metaphor it was how we have these unintended negative consequences of very well intentioned things. Mm. So, for example, with the equal pay thing, um, where the idea that women want equal pay, which I mean, I don't even know why they should want it. It should just be something that happens. I mean, mm. I don't know why it's even a conversation and the fact that it is is very distressing. But that if you want that, that position, you almost have to choose to not be a present mother. And if you choose to be a present mother, you are not seen as aspirational in terms of your career and this polarizing of genders. And then while you're doing that in the empowering woman, you know, men are saying, well, something's been taken from us. And then men are saying, yeah, well, I'm helping with the baby, but you're not helping, you're actually parenting. Mm. So a lot, of, a lot of, for me, what the conversations have attempted to do is break down the dichotomies. And what, what, what it's about for me is having what we call both and thinking rather than either or mm. thinking. And I think the last one really highlighted that very well. And I, I found I found that very inspirational because it was nice to see this hip young millennial black woman with her fancy sneaker collection and coming here and kind of is like a superstar in, in the maths world 
And why is that not a norm? Why is it an exception? Mm. And I found it interesting with the socialization, the schooling, you mm. are not maths orientated, men are more technical, and how through these these um, these stereotypical dichotomies we create, we limit the potential of people. Mm. That's so true. A very, very interesting conversation. Luke, over the last 18 months, it's been a very, very difficult time for nonprofit organizations. Mm. A lot have had to almost steer their focus or change it um, very much in terms of, and, and you've experienced this feeding mm. because um, people have been starving. We've seen um, victims of abuse locked up with their abusers. We've seen people not having access to public places. It's been a very, very challenging difficult 18 months and I think if we're still here after everything that we've um, been through we're not going anywhere what are the lessons well I'm very glad you didn't say that we have to pivot because <laughs> <laughs> don't you love words yeah, yeah, we're yeah. needing to pivot this if, if I actually put a like my own meme up on uh, social media a little while ago and I said if the next person who tells me that I need to pivot, what I'm going to do is I'm going to replace it in my head with pirouette and I'm actually <laughs> going to do it in the world. I'm going to see what reaction I get. Because I, th I think probably the biggest problem has been the expectation that we need to do more than survive the pandemic. So the idea that we all had to go out and manage what's, what has been a disaster a proper disaster and we need to do something exceptional you know we need to I don't know be something heroic rather than just saying you know what we need to pause we need to recalibrate and we need to say where the priority is and what it has done is it has exposed the pre-existing inequalities and divisions and it's exacerbated them amplified them magnified them whatever whatever term you want to use and that crisis is an opportunity for us to see what's really going on mm. because it really exposed the fault lines of of the world that we live in it's increased the the already chasmic gap between the haves and the have not it's um highlighted the failings of our systems that are there to protect people. It's done all kinds of things like that. Now, can we rectify those in the pandemic? No. What we can do is we can go back to basics. And we say, let's start with the basics. And the basics are things like food, shelter, safety. And let's go back to this. Education. Education. It's all the basic rights. And to focus on the fact that this is, COVID is not normal. And it's not going anywhere. It's not. Plus, I'm, I'm tired of adults in particular saying to children, this is the new normal. There is nothing normal no. about this. And the young people have to recognize this as an adversity and that this is an adverse childhood experience that we need to mitigate against. Mm. Okay, Not pivot to accommodate because... This too shall pass. When is a totally separate question. But we need to go back to human relations, to the fact that we touch each other, that we care, that we can hug each other, that we can see each other's faces and we can express ourselves and we can get feedback from the world and we can enter that world in a way that feels safe. Because when we're not safe, we cannot learn. So it's almost like everything in childhood has been arrested, an arrested development. And we need to be thinking, we, we, were, we were very clear how we locked down and mm. saved lives. We were then very concerned about how we manage livelihoods, both important questions. But the question is, what have children lost 
in COVID mm. in terms of their social and emotional development because we focused, excuse me, on them not missing any of the education. Now, oh, please, don't fall behind on your education. But then we came, became so hectic about them not missing the education that we forgot about their social emotional development that was being missed by being locked down. So I think that the lesson for me really has been that it's enough to survive during a pandemic. And then when we have the space to think, to say, mm, what did we learn? And to be okay that we don't yet have the answers to how we come out, but that we're thinking about it. Because we were all, this is how we locked down. This is what we do. Yeah, the announcement, the first 21 days, we were all patriotic. Are we thinking, this is a bit hard. But now how do we come out of this? Mm. What are we seeing coming out of it? And how do we open up again and open up as people, open up as systems, open up to the problems, open up to... Um, acknowledging the fault lines that it shown, not being defensive around it, and seeing the crisis as an opportunity to really stare this thing in the face, uh, because COVID has popped up. I mean, the, the the other consequence of COVID we talk about, like you know, brain problems and heart problems and long COVID and fatigue and whatever. There are many other mm. consequences this has had that we need to look at socially and how we mitigate those adversities for our children. One year in, thirty podcasts 3,000 downloads intentionally what are we going to do in the next year well in the next year I think what I would like to do is I would like to build on the conversations mm. because I think what we have done through the days we have chosen is we've chosen to start conversations mm. what conversations do is give people vocabulary vocabulary assists people to think people who think are less likely to be dichotomous in the ways they behave in the world and people who are less dichotomous tend to be less judgy. People who are less judgy tend to be calm. Luke, it's a pleasure. It's and my favourite day of the month. And thank you. And I'm looking forward to the next year. And thanks for all your hard work, Karen. Without you, none of this would happen. <laughs> I just would like everybody to know so there's nothing heroic about my involvement in society. <laughs> Superheroes other than I come and wag my mouth around. So thanks, Karen, for all your hard work and for your dedication to this project, and I look forward to the year ahead. Thanks, Luke.